Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to a reload of the What's Next podcast. This is one of my favorite episodes, and I always like to bring those ones back that had a huge impact, not only on myself, but I got a lot of feedback from listeners just like you. I hope you enjoy this week's reload of the What's Next podcast. I have the pleasure today of having Nir Ayel on. He is the author of Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. He's an entrepreneur. He's taught at Stanford School of Business, and he's just an all-around great guy. So I'm thrilled to have him. Welcome, Nir. Thank you so much, Tiffany. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's sort of a short and sweet bio. You're just a great guy. <laughs> that's, I'll take it. Yeah, that's easy, right? Well, that's I love the best bio we can ask for. Yep. It's kind of like the ones we want our parents to hear, right? The ones we want. <laughs> I, hope, I hope my mom and dad are listening. <laughs> well, I like to start off uh, what's next with something I call bullish and bearish. It's just an opportunity for me to ask a couple of quick questions and get just your you know, fast reaction to it. And if there's anything we want to go back and revisit, we will. But are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So because I know what you cover, I'm going to do throw you a softball first out of the gate. First one is, are you bullish or bearish on New Year's resolutions? Uh, that, <laughs> believe it or not, uh, that's, that's, that's a table. Uh, there, there, are, there are good ways to make New Year's resolutions and there are bad ways to make New Year's resolutions. So you're taking the middle road. Yeah, well, it's, it, see, though, of course, the problem is that the answer to life, right, is it depends. Okay, we'll, <laughs> so go, you can... we'll, go, with it. we'll go with middle road, it depends. Okay. All right, next one. Uh, we'll see if we can get, we get a nod and it depends. All right, the second one is uh, getting assistance from apps and AI for daily tasks. Bullish or bearish? Very bullish. Bullish, bullish. Great. Uh, and the third one is gamification to change behavior and habits. Uh, again, it's which habits and which gamification tools, but in, I'll, I'll err on uh, uh, bullish for that one. All right. Well, since you were uh, a little shaky on that last one, not knowing which direction you were going <laughs> to go in because of how you define habits, let's start there. You know, I think, um, you know, your book Hooked. Uh, when I first sort of heard the title, I was like, huh, interesting title, right? How to build sort of habit forming. I mean, very specific, right? And it has everything to do with habits. So maybe let's start there with your kind of definition of what that means and how you see the world of quote unquote habits uh, and, and, sure. and what that means to you. Yeah. So the definition of a habit is an impulse to do a behavior with little or no conscious thought. And it's about half of what you do every day, day in and day out is done purely out of habit, these impulses to do a behavior with little or no conscious thought. And it turns out that as business uh, owners, as, as designers, as product managers, as, as people who work in industry, uh, you can generate a tremendous amount of economic and customer value by leveraging these habits. So the kind of companies that I study are the ones that are able to change consumer behavior without spammy advertising and expensive marketing. You know, what, what they are doing is changing people's day-to-day -day lives by using these principles from consumer psychology that I, that I talk about in my book, that I taught at my, at my classes I taught at Stanford, are all about using consumer psychology to help people build these healthy habits in their day-to-day -day lives. And the companies that I spotlight are, you know, what everybody thinks of when they think about a habit-forming technology, you know, what makes uh, the iPhone so habit-forming or Facebook or Twitter or Slack or Instagram or WhatsApp, you know, what is it about these companies that the rest of us can learn from 
so that we can make our products more engaging, things that people want to use as opposed to things that maybe they feel they have to use or don't use at all because they're not engaging enough. So that's really what I study. And it's it, just to clarify, I'm not saying that this is some magic pixie dust that you pour in every business because frankly, lots of businesses don't need repeat customer engagement. Uh, you know, if you're the kind of business that just needs a one-time transaction or a very infrequent transaction, for example, take insurance. You know, home insurance is not something that you would need to purchase out of a habit. You may want to engage your customers habitually, maybe with, and there's other ways to do that we can get to later on. Um, but really what I focus on are the kind of products whose business model depends upon repeat engagement, because we know that it's much, much easier uh, from a cost perspective, much cheaper from a cost perspective to retain a customer than to go out and find a new one. So if you can figure out how to create a customer habit, how to keep them coming back, uh, that, that's, that's a golden opportunity. Well, you said something right at the top of that answer that I wanted to, to hear a little bit more about what you think is looking at the behavior data to figure out what are the things you might want to consider designing around. And data to me is just this, you know, untapped resource that businesses have. You know, you could call it the new oil, whatever you want to call it, right? But at the end of the day, you know, companies are leaving all that opportunity on the table because they're not digging into that behavior data. Would you agree? Absolutely. So the, the, there's four steps to what I call the hooked model, which is which is designed into the user experience of all habit-forming products. You know, so all the companies we just talked about, all of them have this fundamental hook built into the product. And I'll just walk you through very, very quickly these four basic steps of a trigger to an action, then a reward, and finally an investment. And it's through successive cycles through these hooks that we can predictably change customer preferences and tastes and form these habits. So where data comes into the equation is with this critical investment phase of the hook. Now the investment phase is where the company gets the user to do something that increases their likelihood of returning. And uh, the, the, the story, the metaphor I like to pose here is imagine you go out to lunch with a friend and you sit down, you have a lovely time together, you eat your food and you, you, know, you start talking about your life, about what's going on with your home life, your work life, your struggles, your, your successes. And you start disclosing all kinds of information about what's happening in your life. And your friend does as well. And you have a beautiful lunch and you part ways. And then a few weeks later, you get together again. And as soon as you sit down and you start discussing what, you know, what's happened in your life, you realize that your friend didn't remember a thing about the conversation. They didn't, they didn't bother to listen to anything you said in that last conversation. So either that person uh, you know, has lost their, their mind or lost their memory, you know, maybe they've had, they have amnesia, or they're not going to be your friend for, for very long. Right? That's just not the kind of person you'd want to hang out with in the future if they didn't bother to remember all these important things that you told them. So we can agree that that's, that's a pretty bad friend, but of course we in industry uh, design our products to be bad friends all the time. We miss this opportunity to learn from our, the interaction with our, company, with our customers because we don't leverage this data. But of course the companies that are building habit-forming products, take Facebook for example. We are literally co-creating that product in real time with the platform, every time you like, every time you comment, every time you submit, every time you friend, you're giving the company data that is changing the product, changing the interface in real time. So if you were to log into my Facebook account, my Pinterest account, my Twitter account, it wouldn't be that interesting for you because it's all been customized based on my data, the data that I gave these, these companies as this, four, this critical fourth step of the, investment, of the investment phase of the hook. 
Yeah. And I, and I think that you nailed it, right? It, it's, it's kind of like in this, and I know you've got something to say about this, this age of distraction, right? It could be that it's not that I'm not a great friend. It's just, I was just distracted, right? So many people sit at a lunch. Let's go back to your example. And, you know, there are some groups of friends who put a basket in the middle and everyone has to toss their cell phone in, right? Because it's just, just pure insanity on the distraction level. So it's not that I'm not a good friend. It's that I'm sort of bouncing in and out of what you're saying to me, you know, from what else I'm doing. And then I bounce back in to listen to what you have to say. So I think part of this is making sure that you have this, to use your term, this kind of intrinsic motivation to keep wanting to stay engaged in the conversation or in your case, right, that what we're talking about using the product. No doubt about it. In the real world, that you know, this is a hallmark of being a good friend. But as companies, as people who are building the kind of products that we want people to stay engaged with, there's really no excuse, right? We can't afford to tune out during the conversation we're having with our customer. And each of those conversations, you know, we don't have customer conversations around the uh, around the lunch table. We have conversations every time someone opens our app, uses our software, calls our company. You know, anytime they interact with us we should be using this valuable data that they're giving us to make the product better and better and better with time. And that is a hallmark of all these world-changing companies that have been so effective at changing consumer habits. Yeah. It's, so how do you think as somebody who is looking to up-level maybe the engagement that they have with customers? Because I think there's a couple of things. One, it's to what you just said a little bit ago, You know, getting a customer is more expensive than you know, sort of getting repeat business from your existing customer base, but you kind of have two different things. You have customers who are looking for a like project product and switch to your brand is very different than I don't know what that product is. It's my first time in category at all. And so I'm acquiring them completely net new. I, I'm guessing you'd have to approach them in two different ways. So, so every product has these three critical pillars. Uh, every you've got what I call gems, and this this actually is not something I invented. This is something that I've kind of heard from various sources. I think it actually was born out of LinkedIn, uh, where the idea is every product needs to have a growth strategy, an engagement strategy, and a monetization plan. So, gems, G E M, growth, engagement, monetization. So, onboarding a customer. You know, finding them, onboarding them, getting them to understand the value proposition and getting them to, to, to try the product, that's a growth challenge. Uh, and there's lots of people who write about and study growth. Uh, monetization, again, its own challenge, right? Can you make enough money per user? Is their lifetime value sufficient to, to acquire that customer, to, you know, to cover your acquisition costs and make your business a viable going concern? That's its own science. What I focus on is the E. Right, the engagement part of, of that equation, where uh, if your company requires this repeat engagement, how do you do that? Right. So one way to have repeat engagement is with a ton of advertising. Right. That's been the traditional model since the dawn of modern mass media has been all about spending money on television commercials and uh, radio ads and billboards. And we do that because it is an effective way to change consumer preferences. It, it's called the mere exposure effect. The more we expose people to a brand, we know they will like it more. If, you know, there's no better illustration than the 2016 presidential elections where we had two candidates, Trump and Clinton, who were household names. Uh, I dare anyone to tell me that they were the most qualified people in America out of 300 million people, that those two were the most qualified people to be president. But nonetheless, they became the two candidates because they were household names well before they declared their candidacy, right? The mere exposure effect works. 
And that it works just as well for Coca-Cola and Geico and you know any other brand names. Now, the question is, these, these habit-forming products, these world-changing companies, think Google and, and, and WhatsApp and Facebook and Slack. You know, if you think about how much money these companies spend in advertising, it's a joke. It's a drop in the bucket, right? They barely spend a, a rounding error worth of, of money on, on uh, uh, advertising, especially in comparison to, you know, the, uh, the Chevrons of the world or the Geico's of the world or, or you know, these, these other brand name products or Coca-Cola's of the world. It's nothing. And the reason why they don't have to spend so much money on advertising is because it's not the mere exposure effect that keeps people engaged. It's the product itself. The user experience is what keeps people coming back. And that's new. That's special. That's never been possible before. And, you know, people that are really double clicking into that user experience, that kind of customer centric component in the product design or in the design side, how, how would you recommend, you know, them, do, you know, people doing that, you know, for those people listening who might be on the marketing side or even the product marketing or product management side, you know, what are the things that they can do to start to make it be that kind of product? Well, the, not to plug my own book here, but the first step is to go buy the book. Uh, it's 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 fourteen bucks. If you don't have fourteen bucks, I don't care if you go find it. You know, pirate it online somewhere. There's plenty of places you can get it for free if you know how to pirate a book. Uh, if you don't want to buy it, uh, I don't really care. Uh, what I want people to know is that this is not a mistake. This is not an accident. You know, Zuckerberg and uh, the founders of these world-changing companies like Netflix and Google and all these other companies that I just mentioned that have had such tremendous impact on people's day-to-day habits, they understand what makes you click and what makes you tick better than you understand yourself. And so that's the new paradigm for us in business today is that we have to not only understand the uh, the articulated needs of our customers, right? It's not good enough just to do customer development and ask people what they want and look for their feedback. That's not good enough anymore. You have to get inside their heads to understand their deeper psychology, right? So understanding consumer psychology is going to be the differentiating factor, I think, of the companies that that, that win in the future, uh, as particularly as screen space becomes more scarce. So if you're, if you touch online in any way, and, and, you know, today who doesn't touch online in some way, what's happening is that the real estate that we have to trigger people, to send them a message, a notification is disappearing, right? It got smaller. Think about the desktop screen to the laptop screen, a little bit smaller, and then to the mobile screen, even smaller. Uh, maybe to the wearable screen, even smaller. Now it's on your wrist, and now it's finally disappeared. So if you think about products like uh, the Amazon Echo, uh, you know there there is no screen anymore. If the user does not remember what they want, your product might as well not exist. And so this is extremely important. So we've got to understand how do we form these habits, or your product may as well not even exist. Now again, I want to I want to disclaimer that that. You know, if your business is a one-time, one-and-done transaction or a very infrequent transaction, you, you may not need habits. The problem with those businesses, it's not that they're bad businesses, right? It's that it's very easy for the competitor to swoop in and take your customer away if you don't form that customer habit. All the competition has to do is to say, oh, we're a few cents cheaper, and boom, customers switch over. So if, if you don't want to play that game, you've got to figure out how to create repeat engagement. So that's where these four steps of the hook model I just described, the trigger action, the reward, and the investment, and we can happy to dive into those, uh, come into play. 
Yeah. And, and would you also say that surrounding all that is understanding the, and connecting back to uh, the user's intention or goals with that product, right? Always kind of. Absolutely. Coming, yeah. Um, absolutely. So, so this is out? the reward yeah. phase. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the, the, this is why when you asked me earlier about gamification, I had to hesitate because I've seen a lot of gamification examples go wrong, right? Gamification is using game-like mechanics, points, badges, leaderboards, uh, you know, that type of thing go horribly wrong because it's used inappropriately, right? So if points, badges, and leaderboards is rewarding to your customer, to your user base, fantastic. That's great, right? But if rewards, badges, and leaderboards aren't something that the user values, and I see this going horribly wrong, particularly in enterprise applications, where people use gamification to serve up what we call chocolate-covered broccoli, right? They pour on the, you know, chocolate on top of broccoli, thinking it's going to make the broccoli more delicious, but it just makes a horrible mess. And so fundamentally, the rewards phase of the hook only works if you're giving people something that scratches, and this is a super important part, scratches an emotional itch. So the first phase of the hook is that trigger phase I discussed, but the way that products form these long-term habits is by creating an association with what's called an internal trigger. Now, an internal trigger is some kind of pain point, some kind of emotional itch, okay? It's, and it's, it's usually a negative uh, feel, a negative emotion. Uh, it's it's you know fear, it's loneliness, it's uncertainty, it's boredom. So fundamentally, the reward has to scratch that user itch. We have to alleviate it through every successive pass through the hook cycle. I love when I have guests like you on because it's it's sort of this new thinking. But I also understand the struggle that you know if someone's listening and goes, "God, we are so not doing that." I mean, it's just not at all what. <laughs> That's good, right? That's good. That's so now There's, what, right? Yeah. <laughs> so okay. First of all, uh, I want to quote Bill Clinton here and say, I feel your pain <laughs> because I really do <laughs> that. I, uh, I have started two tech companies uh, and I know how difficult it is to change user behavior. It is very, very challenging. I remember banging my head against the wall, trying to figure out, we've got a great product here. This would be great for people. They would, their lives would be so much better if they would only use the darn software. And so I, I, I feel that challenge. That's why I do what I do. Um, so the first step is to really ask yourself from a business model perspective, do you need a habit? Do you need repeat engagement? You know, if you think about all the companies we just talked about, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and WhatsApp and Slack and Salesforce, even all of these companies, if they don't have a customer habit, if people don't use the product frequently on their own, it's an existential threat to the company. They go out of business. So the first question is, is your business in that type of market? And if it is, and we've got to ask ourselves these five fundamental questions, which I'll list out for you. Of course, I'm giving you the very, very abridged version of my book. There's, a, there's exercises in the book. I wrote it uh, for an entrepreneur audience, right? Entrepreneur or entrepreneur audience. I wrote it for a business audience that doesn't have a lot of time for fluffy stories. So there's exercises that take you step by step. But the five fundamental questions are, number one, what's the internal trigger? What's the user's itch that occurs with sufficient frequency that you are going to attach to? That's the most important question. What's the feeling that you want to provide relief for? Okay. The second question is what's the external trigger that prompts the user to action? So an external trigger is a ping, a ding, a notification, an email, something that tells the user what to do next. The action 
The third step is what is the action the user has to take and is it easy enough to do? And so there's a lot of psychology around how we make something easy enough to do, which I, I won't go into now, but there's a lot more in the book. The third step is, is the reward fulfilling and yet leaves the user wanting more? So this has to do with variable rewards that we don't always, believe it or not, want to give the user everything they want. Sometimes we want to add a little mystery, a little bit of uncertainty. Uh, it's called an intermittent reinforcement. And then finally, the investment phase, the question here to ask, the fifth question is, what's the bit of work the user does to increase their likelihood of the next pass through the hook? And so that's the, that's the core five questions. And so if you look at those five questions and you say to yourself, oh my God, we are totally lacking in this or that, that's great. That's progress because now you can diagnose the issue, right? Now you can do something about it. What, what, what I see time and time again is you know people call me and they say we 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 built this product we spent millions of dollars uh, it was growing really really well we got money from the venture capitalists and as soon as the money from the venture capitalists hit the bank account our our users started leaving you know we call that a leaky bucket business right I see that all the time so they call me I'm the plumber to try and fix the leaks and so this is a diagnostic tool to try and understand where your product might be deficient when it comes to a habit forming perspective and so you know as we kind of step through that, you've given great advice on kind of how to build a product that people want to come back to, keep it engaged, being customer centric, right? Really using user design to further the desire for someone to use the product and come back. And so maybe we can go back to that New Year's resolution question, the bullish and bearish at the beginning, right? Mm. What's sort of the number one reason? And I know it's always hard to say one, right? But the sort of what are the top reasons that that kind of good habits don't last or from a, you know, product perspective that the hook doesn't work. Well, so, so the, the main reason that the, that uh, I see companies failing to do this is a lack of a belief in consumer psychology in the first place. Right. So uh, people will write off uh, customers not using the product as, Oh, those stupid customers, you know, why, why don't they just read the manual? Right. <laughs> why don't they just read the instructions? Well, in this day and age, are you kidding me, right? There's no such thing as stupid customers. There's only stupid product teams. Uh, and, and so the biggest mistake is to not think about consumer psychology in the first place. Uh, we've got to understand how people make these decisions in order to design the kind of products that service their needs, uh, even the needs they don't know they have, right? That's the important thing. It's not good enough to just ask them what they want. So that's the biggest mistake I, I see. And then you know, where it comes to specific parts of the hook, that's all over the map, right? Some companies are deficient because they haven't thought of the internal trigger enough. They haven't thought about the frequently occurring uh, internal trigger. Frequency is a big deal. We have a lot of data that shows us that if a behavior does not occur within a week's time or less, it's very hard to change the consumer habit. So we've either got to figure out a way to engage them within that period of time or find a different type of business model because frequency is huge when it comes to forming habits. Other companies, the action is too difficult. Uh, that's a big one, right? That, that the, 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 it requires too much cognitive load or too, you know, too much work for the user to figure out what the heck it is you want them to do uh, with your product. Variable rewards. A lot of products just don't scratch the itch sufficiently, uh, certainly not sufficiently enough to get someone to switch. You know, there's a there's this idea uh, in the product development community that, oh, if I just build a product that's better, well, then that's it. People will you know, beat the door down and they'll want my product. And that's not true, right? There's Silicon Valley graveyards are full of companies that had the best product. 
But the fact is, it's not the best product that wins. It's the product that has this monopoly of the mind, the product that we turn to first with little or no conscious thought, uh, right? How, how often do you say to yourself, ooh, I wonder if Bing is, will give me better search results than Google? You, know, you never do that because your go-to, your habit, by the way, 50-50 preference split when people don't know which search engine they're using. They literally can't tell the two apart. But we don't even ask whether a, com a competitor might have a better product because once we're habituated, we stop looking for alternative solutions. And, and that's why these companies are so darn valuable. It's just habit. So that's why we've got to look at all four of these phases of the hook, the trigger, the action, the reward, and the investment to make sure we've got them all covered. And so would you say a way to get that usage and that habit is, you know, at least in some, especially in the subscription business today, a lot of it has to do with that really clear ease of use onboarding process. I don't mean with a human, right? But I mean, through, mm -hmm. it could be using AI and bots, you know, hey, we saw that you, you know, you haven't logged in in a couple of days. It reminds people, right, to get them into the habit. So there's ways in which you can get people into the habit. You're just not a passive uh, brand, right? You're sort of a, a forward brand as well. Sure. I, and I, I've actually advised some of my clients to do uh, real life onboarding. Uh, because, you know, once in a while, I'll see a company that has a great hook, right? A really good hook that's very engaging, but people, they can't get over the onboarding. So uh, I worked with a financial services company that once they could get people to, to on the product, they would use it every day. But onboarding was so laborious, was so hard for people to do that I actually advised them, look, I want you to sit down with a, a rep and the client, and I want you to sit there, and I want you to ask them to please give, give you their cell phone, and you're going to sit there, and you're going to help them on board for the first time. <laughs> so you know, anything's on the table. If, if you know, the cost of acquisition is less than the lifetime value, and that'll support uh, sitting down with the client, well, then sit down with the client. Of course, not every product can support that. Sometimes you do need it to be a self-service experience. But yeah, onboarding you know, sits in that growth bucket of a one-time experience. So we don't have to worry about habits when it comes to one-time experiences. What we really want to worry about is that engagement part uh, to make sure that, that once we get customers, once we spent all that money finding them and you know, getting them onboarded, that they actually stick around. Well, great. Well, Nir, this has been gone by way too fast. I feel like we could, you know, we could have another <laughs> cup of coffee and keep going, right? Uh, and keep talking. <laughs> yeah. Happy to. Yeah, we should we should talk about the other side. We should talk about how to, you know, workplace. That's my next book is called Indistractable. And it's about how to stay focused at work, which is the other side of the equation. What do we do when products are too engaging, like email and Slack and, you know, all this other crap that is uh, flinging at us every day? Which is, I think I said a little bit ago, right? It's kind of in, in that conversation with your friend when you're sitting at lunch. Some of it isn't that you're just not a bad friend. It's just you're too distracted. Right. So I mean, right, just right. in general, as a human being, not as a friend, not as a mm -hmm. spouse, not as a, you know, what you're just distracted. Um, and right, so that right. yeah, so we can talk about that next time. We'll do, absolutely. we'll flip the equation. We'll, we won't do the user side. We'll do, you know, we'll do the other side of the product. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's been such a pleasure near, you know, if there's, uh, you know, you mentioned your book, uh, is there any other ways people can sort of consume what, what it is that you've just said? Cause I I'm hoping, and I'm thinking, uh, that everybody who's listening to this is going to want to hear more for sure. So what's, what's the best way to keep in touch with what you're doing? Thank you. That's kind of you to say. I, I uh, update my blog regularly. The blog is near and far. Near is spelled like my first name, N-I-R, so nearandfar.com. 
and of course, Hooked is available wherever books are sold. Well, fantastic. Well, Nir, it has just absolutely been a pleasure. And, you know, I'm glad we we were, uh, you know, cohorts on stage a, a couple of years back and I got the opportunity to hear you and meet you. And it's just been a pleasure having you on my podcast today. And so thank you so much for joining What's Next. Thank you so much, Tiffany. So that was awesome. I loved having Nir on. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I could have gone on for another half hour, but the good news is, you know, we will definitely have him back when his next book comes out. There were so many great points of information. I don't even know where to start, but I can tell you that Hooked, what a great concept, right? Thinking about the trigger, the external triggers and what gets users to the product. And then the internal triggers are what are the things that the users really want from it? And then what actions do we want people to do once they come and you start using our product? And how do we get them to keep coming back? What's the reward they get? And, and you really want them to want more from whatever it is that you're selling. And then last, I'd say that whole, what is the bit of work in order to make the likelihood of them coming back in the investment, being invested in your brand, being invested in your product. What a masterful way to get people who are either marketers or product marketers or product designers to think about the customer at the center of what is the value you're providing and how do you make them want to come back? What a great guest. I hope I have made you want to come back and thank you for listening in to the What's Next podcast this time. Please subscribe, leave a review and keep in touch. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Have a great day.